For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. If I can't preach after that, there's something wrong with me. I mean to tell you what. Praise the name of Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. We're talking about our Lord and Savior. What a beautiful name it is. And, and the hymn that we sang before that. I'm just reminded that my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Is your soul praising the Lord today? I was listening to some, the radio coming in this morning, and one of the songs that was, that was played was a song called The Lion and the Lamb by Big Daddy Weave. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Big Daddy Weave. But the chorus talks about the great contrast, I think, in the way we understand Jesus. Our God is the Lion. The Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. He's fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before you. Our God is the Lamb. The lamb that was slain for, for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. I mean, just a... It, it's a thought that sends chills over my, my soul. That every knee will one day bow before the lion of Judah and the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And his power in, in both names. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. We're going to talk today about what we do at the crossroads between faith and fear. In the Vatican Gallery, there hangs a, a beautiful uh, portrait. It's reputed to be the last, uh, the last painting that the great Raphael ever did. Some people think it's his greatest masterpiece and it's called the Transfiguration. At the very top of the painting there are pictures and it pictures the great transfigured form of Jesus with Moses on his left and Elijah on his right. And on the next level down there are three disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're recently awakened and they're shielding their eyes from the blinding brilliance of Jesus Christ. Then on the ground level there's a poor, demon-possessed boy. His mouth just gaping open. The only word you can think of is just gaping grotesquely. He's so misshapen and misformed. And, he's, and, and, and you could tell he was involved in just wild ravings. And next to him, looking helplessly, is his father, who is clearly desperate. And surrounding them are the rest of the disciples, some of whom are, are pointing upwards at, at Jesus to the glowing figure of Christ that's in this great picture, who we know will be the boy's only answer. Raphael has brilliantly, I believe, captured the, the essence 
of the overwhelming contrast between the glorious Mount of Transfiguration and the troubled world that waits below it. This is a picture in part that's taken from Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 9 verses 14 through 19 tells that story. Join with me as we read this together. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him talking about Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with him? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. In this passage, Mark 2 paints a picture. He paints a picture for us to look at. One of the world in which we live. It's a world of contrast. On one hand, we know the grace and the power of God. What a powerful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. What a glorious name it is. We know that. On the other hand, though, we find ourselves facing things in our life that are seemingly impossible. Situations where we are totally helpless. How do we... How do we negotiate that? How do we negotiate the things that, we, that, that are happening to us in our life that seem to be just impossible for us to deal with? How do we reconcile that with the glorious and the powerful name of God? The glorious and powerful name of Jesus who saves us from our sins, who gives us eternal life. How do we reconcile that? At some point during life's journey, we all come to the crossroads of faith and fear. Every one of us will. We stand at the intersection of hope and despair. And we have a decision to make. And that decision is this. Will we choose to believe God and His Word, or will we collapse in despair and doubt and fear? That is the choice we have. Will we believe, or will we not? Peter, James, and John were returning with Jesus from the Mount of Transfiguration. God had just revealed Himself in a, in a, in a breathtaking, in an awe-inspiring way. They had just been party to one of the most beautiful things that they will ever see this side of eternity. It was on that mountain that the appearance of Jesus changed from the inside out and that they got a glimpse of Jesus in His glory. It was all so incredible. That Peter wanted to stay up on the mountain. He told Jesus he wanted to build a, a little camp. And, and he wanted to hang out on that mountain for the rest of his life. He wanted to bask in the glory of the moment. The problem though. Is that as disciples. And that's the ones that are in this story. And the ones that are sitting in this room. And those that are listening who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where everyone disciples. The problem is that we aren't made to live on the mountaintops. We're made for the valleys. We're made for the valleys. Meanwhile, down on ground level, far from the mountaintop experience that, that Peter, James, and John were experiencing, the other nine disciples were having not so great a time. Right? I think the story kind of tells us that. 
the cynics and the, and the skeptics of Jesus and his ministry and his mission were having a heyday with those folks. The scribes were taunting them. They were verbally abusing them. They were mocking the disciples. You see, their failed attempt to cast out the demons that were in this, this boy had started a very heated discussion down below the transfiguration. You ever tried to do something for God and it just didn't work out? You ever set out with the very best of intentions? You just try to do something for God and it, and it doesn't it doesn't work out. You ever feel the same emotions that the disciples were feeling in that story? Can you imagine what they were what they were going through? They, they, this man brought his son. He was desperate. He was desperate. He brought him to the disciples and said, "Would you please heal him? Would you please cast this demon out?" And they couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't do it. I think the word amazed in verse 15 is one that we need to take note of. The word means to be astonished or to be frightened. It says that they were amazed. Look at verse 15 again. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, Jesus, they were running and they were amazed and they began running up to, up to greet him. A.T. Robertson, who is an accomplished Southern Baptist preacher and teacher and biblical scholar in the late 19th or 20th centuries said this about the word amazed. He said, the sudden and opportune appearance of Jesus in the midst of the dispute when no one was looking for him turned all eyes to him. He would not fail, however the disciples might do so. The people were awed for the moment and then running began to welcome him. Are you amazed when Jesus shows up in your moment of need? At the moment where you just don't know how you're going to make it, how you're going to get out of this situation, how you're going to do it. Are you, are you amazed when Jesus shows up? Why are, we, why are we afraid to seek Jesus? Why do we make that our last ditch effort? Why do we make that the last thing we do? Why are we scared to do that? Why do we fail to search for Jesus? Let me tell you something. Other people may fail us. And I can guarantee you, other people will. But Jesus never fails. He never fails. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what we have got, no matter what, 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 what circumstances befall us, no matter what we are doing, Jesus never fails. See, the story of the young man in Mark 9 is a... A very sad one. Luke's account tells us in Luke 9 that this was the man's only son. Can you imagine the, the heartbreak and the frustration of seeing your only child, your only son in that kind of torment and unable to do anything about it? Unable to fix it? Unable to make him better? Unable to change it? Can you imagine the frustration? Jesus quickly, when he got there, recognized what was going on. He saw what was happening, and he put himself in the middle of the situation and in the middle of the conversation that they were having. The picture that the Bible paints of this boy is one that if they were making a movie out of this, Hollywood would have to use CGI, and they would have to use all kind of makeup effects. They wouldn't be able to adequately describe the picture of this young man. And, the, and the, the torment that he was in. Because this wasn't a stunt. This was real life. This was real life. 
The young son was foaming at the mouth. The Bible says he was deaf and is dumb. His body was uncontrollably slammed to the ground, thrown into the fire and then into the water. The scars, y'all, the scars must have been terrible. What this young man endured must have been terrible. The bruises must have been deep purple on his body. If you want to get a, a vivid mental picture of that, this boy's form was being destroyed moment by moment, incident by incident, day by day. And even the unconditional love of his father couldn't bring the boy back. He was at the end of his rope, you see. He was at the end of his rope. The young man had reached the point of impossibility. And the father had reached the point of desperation. Now, he was in a position to see God work. He was ready to see what God would do in his life and in the life of his son. Now, maybe the situation that you're in today is nowhere near the extent of this one. But nevertheless, you may be here today because you feel a little defeated. You feel overwhelmed. Let me tell you something. With everything we've got going on in the world around us, it is easy to begin to feel overwhelmed, isn't it? It's easy to begin to feel like we've lost control. Well, the truth is, we've never had control. That's been the real, the real fallacy of the whole thing. We've never had control, but we feel like it. You see, Satan will use us like a punching bag, won't he? He will continue to, to, to punch away and to beat away at us until we are defeated. We feel defeated. We feel alone. Just about the time you feel like you got your act together, Satan will karate chop you and knock you to the ground. We feel beaten and battered and bruised. And emotionally, we don't know if we can take it anymore. Mentally, it's draining us. Spiritually, we wonder if God even cares. Maybe, just maybe, you've been disappointed by God's people. I know y'all think, man, that could never happen. Maybe you've been disappointed by God's people, by the church. Maybe you've been disappointed by a minister. The nine disciples were unable to help. It wasn't lack of desire that hindered the nine. What did Jesus say it was? It was lack of faith. It was lack of faith. God's people will disappoint us. Because we are all frail flesh, every one of us, just like they are, were. God's servants aren't, aren't perfect. And if your desperation leads you to turn away from the church or turn away from the servants of God, it's because we haven't put our faith and hope, well, we have put our faith and hope in men and institutions. We have not put our faith in the Lord God of heaven. The Lord God of heaven who will never disappoint, who will never fail, who will never leave us or forsake us. The Lord, of God, the Lord God who created us, who sustains us, who saved us, who will one day glorify us and welcome us into an eternity. That's where we need to place our faith. And if our faith is on something else, if it's on the church or if it's on a person, if it's on a pastor, if it's on a Sunday school leader, if it's on the people in your Sunday school class, if that is where your faith is, then your faith is misplaced. Because people will fail. God will never fail. Never. Not one time. We may not understand Him. The Bible tells us that He's inscrutable. 
sometimes. It means we can't understand what he's doing. But one thing is sure, and one thing we can say with confidence, is that God's Word is true, and God's Word reveals to us that He has never let us down. Not once. And He wasn't going to let this Father down either. You find yourself at the intersection of doubt and desperation. Remember, look at verse 19, Jesus' response. He says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Can't you just hear the chastisement, the rebuke that Jesus was giving? Can you just imagine this same rebuke, this same chastisement being given to the 21st century church? Can you imagine Jesus saying this to us? We are at times, I think, not the best model to a desperate world of the power of the gospel. Sometimes people look to us and they find us at our weakest. They find us at our least strong. They find us bickering with one another. They find us in the midst of disagreements when God calls us to unity and harmony. They find us concerned about, the earth, about earthly things when God calls us to, to be concerned about eternal things. And they wonder, what, it is that, what is it that brings us here? What brings the church here today? What brings us together? Where's the hope in eternity? Where's our claiming the promise that, that God made us heirs of through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Where, where, is, where is that? Sometimes we lack power in faith, I think. Sometimes... We fail God at basic points of discipleship, right? Where we help people grow. But we can no more sidestep the Lord's diagnosis and frustration than those first century disciples could. We can't turn away from what Jesus is saying. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. How long had to be a statement of Jesus' frustration? I mean, he certainly knew his time on earth was drawing to a close, and he was spending his time pouring into these disciples, trying to teach them that one day he would be gone, and they would be left to, to nurture and to guide and to grow and to lead this new church into the future. And they, the faith was still lacking. The faith was still lacking there. He had to wonder, would the disciples ever get it? Would they ever learn to apply what he said and use it Consistently, in a world that's dominated by darkness and depravity and destruction, the church can sometimes stand completely impotent before what is going on. We appear to have nothing to offer those people who are desperate. The problem is not in the power of Christ. The problem is in the powerlessness and the prayerlessness of the church. We claim to have the answers, yet often we don't know the questions. Someone has said that knowing these disciples had been authorized with power to cast out demons, yet couldn't do it, caused this man, this father, to wonder if that power was even available. Maybe they followed the formula that they had previously, previously used when they did cast out demons, because we know 
from the context of the Scriptures that they had done this before. So maybe they said, well, if I say the right things in the right way to the right person at the right time, maybe this will, maybe this will happen. But this time they failed. Too often the world comes to the door of the church looking for deliverance. And what they find are theological debates or tea parties or even worse, fighting amongst ourselves. Let's be honest, if we could, just, just for a few minutes, let's be honest with ourselves. We don't want the kind of people that Jesus attracted. Sinners, prostitutes, the demon-possessed, tax collectors, outcasts of society. Oftentimes we like to sit in our nice, neat circles and in our folding chairs, having our theological discussions about everything from predestination to who will care for all the pets left behind at the rapture. When there's a world outside here that are hurting. There's a world that needs to see difference in our lives. They need to see that when we sing about the unbelievably beautiful name of Jesus, that we mean it. That it's done something in our lives, that it has transformed us, that it moves us. That it causes us to reach out beyond ourselves and to love each other regardless of who we find. Are we not sometimes in fact and in practice an unbelieving generation? I mean, we hear stories about the power of the, the Lord in other places around the world, but where is the power of God in the American church? Where is the church that's doing things that can't be explained in part apart from the infusion of the Holy Spirit in us, the body of Christ? Are we letting the Holy Spirit lead us? Are we letting Him guide us? Are we letting Him take us where we don't want to go? Because that's where we need to be. Are we allowing Him to strengthen us and to stretch us? Jesus told the disciples to do what we must do as, as well. What did He say? Bring Him to me. Bring Him to me. Whatever the situation... Take it to Jesus. No issues too great. No need is too small for Jesus. Take your family. Take your prodigal. Take your broken marriage. Take your desperate situations, your church, to the Savior. Take it to Jesus. Throw yourself at His mercy. Seek Him where He may be found. You want revival in your life? Learn where to turn when your moment of desperation intersects your moment of doubt. You want to see what God is doing in your life to remind you about who He is and, and what He can do? You want to see that spread throughout the church and change a community and change a world one person at a time, one soul at a time. Do you want to see that? Listen, we don't have all the answers. We never will have all the answers. Thank God that my future, thank God that the future of the church doesn't depend on what I know or what I can do. We may not have all the answers, but we know the one who does. Don't we? We know the one who has every answer. 
We know the one that can calm every fear. We know the one that can heal every hurt. We know the one that can lift us up in every situation. We know the one who has promised that he will be with us from the moment of our salvation until we close our eyes in this world and open them into, in, in glory and we see him face to face. We know him. We don't have to know any more than him. Sometimes I think we make too much out of this. We need to know Jesus. We need to love Him. We need to serve Him. We need to understand who He is and what His sacrifice meant to each and every one of us. We, none of us would be here but for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. None of us would understand the indescribable joy of eternal life without Jesus Christ. The band Third Day, this be a day for me to quote bands today. The band Third Day puts, the wor puts to words and to music in a very powerful way why exactly, uh, what exactly we're talking about. What to do, where to go, when we reach our point of desperation. Let's listen to what they had to say. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. And there's grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Revival begins when we put everything in its proper place. When we begin with letting Jesus do the things that only He can do. Have you done that yet today? Have you let Jesus do the things that only He can do in your life? Have we as, the, as a church... Let Jesus do the things that only He can do in our lives, our, our corporate collective life here. Have we given our heart and our soul to Jesus? Have we given our mountains and our valleys to Jesus? Have we given our sickness and our health to Jesus? Have we given our wealth, our prosperity and our want and need to Jesus? Have we done that? He doesn't tell the disciples to try harder. He says, bring him to me. Let me ask you this today. Maybe you're here today because you haven't made that trip to Jesus. Maybe you've been looking for somebody in the church to do something transformative in your life so that, so that you can finally believe. Let me tell you something. We are all disappointing people. Starting here and moving out. But there is someone who wants to be a part of your life that will never let you down. That is Jesus, friend of sinners. And that's why one of my favorite verses is Romans 5.8. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He didn't leave us that way. He didn't leave us in our sin. When we turned to Him... When we fell on our face before Him, when we told Him everything about us, which He already knew anyway and loved you. But when we tell Him that, and we tell Him that we need somebody to save us, we need somebody to heal us, to forgive our sins, He says, I'm here. Come to me. And then He does it. 
oh, he does it. Doesn't promise that things will be awesome from here on out. Always. Doesn't promise we're going to have a, a lifetime filled with mountaintops and never go through any valleys. No, he doesn't do that. What he does promise is this. Whatever you go through, wherever you are, you are never alone. You are never alone. You don't fight these spiritual battles on your own anymore. Why? Because he's the lion of Judah. He roars with power. He fights our battles. And we need to be given forgiveness for our sins. Who is Jesus? He's the lamb who was slain. For the sins of the world, his blood breaks the chain. And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Are we on our knees before the lion and the lamb today? If not, that's where we need to be. You want revival in your life? You want revival in this church? Then we have to be on our knees before the lion and the lamb today. We have to confess our need, our desperation. And we have to give him our faith, unwavering. Then, then, we will see what he will do. In my life and in your life and in the life of our church, our faith family. He will do that for us if we will do that for Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, I just, I just thank You. I thank you that, you that no matter where we are, no matter what we're in, Your voice returns. Bring Him to me. God, this story that You have given us is so powerful and so vivid. God, it paints a picture of what You will do. with the faith of a mustard seed. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your healing. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for sending a comforter to be with us, the Holy Spirit. Lord, when we give our lives to you, he takes up residence inside us, Lord, and he teaches us and he leads us and he breaks us, God. For your glory and for the glory of your kingdom here on earth and your kingdom in eternity. Lord, to you be the honor and glory today. Give us the faith to believe that way. Give us the peace and the comfort that comes from knowing who you are and what you have done and what you will do. Lord, help us to love like you love and to serve like you serve. And to reach people in your name that you call. Equip us for the task in Jesus' name. Amen.